Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. And welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar Wardner. And in my nearly 20 year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors. And many of these conversations had a real impact on me. And I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered. And at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Richie Bostock. He is better known, perhaps, as the breath guy, and he is a leading figure in breathwork. He is a breathwork coach, author, and speaker, and having reaped the benefits of breathwork in his own life, is on a mission to share the life-changing benefits of breathwork to as many people as possible. Now, last year, I recorded a podcast with James Nestor, the journalist and researcher whose book Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art and His Findings had a profound effect on me personally. I challenge you to read or listen to that book and not fundamentally become aware of and change your breathing based on his findings. But it was an episode that I know also had a massive impact on many of you, my most excellent listeners, because a lot of you got in touch about it and said how the exercises and how understanding your breathing had made a real impact on your own health. And here's the thing. I always thought that the that evolution meant that every slight adaptation, every change, every modification was for the benefit or improvement of the species. James's findings prove that actually our respiratory system and specifically the structure of our nasal cavities, sinuses, teeth and mouths have made our breathing less effective at supporting optimal health. And this is what Richie discovered firsthand on his journey to discover and then practice breathwork. He heard about the Iceman himself, Wim Hof, and the applications of the Wim Hof method on treating autoimmune disease, which was something affecting Rich's father. And on his pursuit to help his dad, he realised he also found the secret to helping himself. Richie has spent years travelling across multiple continents, learning from many masters of breathwork from different cultures, and has seen firsthand the transformative effects it can have on physical, mental and emotional health. And I was so keen to speak to Richie because after that conversation with James Nestor, 
that I know resonated with a lot of you, I wanted to bring another perspective on the breath to the conversation. Richie's taught tens of thousands of people across the world in workshops, retreats and online events. And I was really keen to unpick his technique and find out a little bit more about what it is that he does. But as you'll hear, Richie's own story is fascinating, how he moved from corporate management and digital entrepreneurship to devoting his life to sharing what he learned on that journey of discovery to help his dad. There are a few things that really stayed with me after this conversation, which is very wide ranging with Richie. When he said, the way that you are may not necessarily be who you are, and how dramatic the changes were when he told himself, forget who you think you are. So yes, we talk a lot about breath and the benefits of breath work, but we also discuss how, through his breath work, Richie and many of his clients have been able to achieve a much stronger sense of self and their own intuition, which has led to a happier, healthier life. Since this recording, I took part in one of Richie's free breath work sessions on his Instagram, and it was a really powerful experience and not at all what I expected a breath session to be like, not at all. And of course, the links to Richie's Instagram will be in the show notes, as will the link to his book, his app, everything we talk about in the podcast. But for now, please do join me in welcoming Richie, who was so generous and just so thoughtful. I really appreciated his insights. He is the breath guy, and I enjoyed very much having him on the show. And I hope you welcome him too onto The Emma Gunn Show. Richie Bostock, the breath guy. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. Thank you so much, Emma. Always a pleasure to see you and to, to be here. <laughs> I'm really delighted to speak to you for many reasons, but I feel as though this is extremely timely. You are the breath guy. You are known for doing incredible breath work, doing coaching with breath work, and really with a view to helping people find a place of calm, find a place of clarity, and also, I think, find a sense of themselves. Beautiful. Oh, I, I really appreciate that you added that last bit in there um, because at the end of the day, whatever kind of therapy, healing work that you, that you go down, I think that's, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is really coming back into alignment with who you are and, and getting a better sense of, of, you know, your virtues, what, what is, what is the essential you? And, you know, so much of the time we get distracted with busy lives or, pandemics and all that kind of good stuff and you know it sends our nervous system into haywire and it can be quite hard to come back to um come back to a place of alignment or a place of centeredness and that's really where the breath can play such a huge role um which is why i think like you said it's quite a relevant conversation to be having right now because i think we don't often realize the cumulative buildup of just life and the impact it has on our minds, on our bodies, on our spirit. And I remember years ago doing a yoga class and the teacher talking about yogic breathing and watch a baby breathe. It's their stomach that moves, not their chest. And how at some point, I guess when we absorb stress, our breath goes from our stomachs to our chest, it becomes more shallow, which actually only serves to encourage more stress. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. You know, we, we have these secondary breathing muscles up in our uh, upper chest, neck and shoulders and um, upper back. And these muscles are designed to kick in when we are in that stress response. or when we are experiencing that fight or flight mechanism in our body, 
So when we go into stress, these muscles kick in in order to help us to breathe faster because, you know, our biology really hasn't changed that much since we were cavemen and cave women. So back then we were stressed because we were about to fight something, you know, a bear or a tiger or something, or we had to run away. So it was all about mobilizing ourselves for action. So we needed to breathe faster, bring in more oxygen, offload more carbon dioxide. And it is this mechanism that causes us to breathe more higher up in the chest because these secondary breathing muscles turn on and help us to breathe a little bit faster, um, which is a fantastic mechanism, actually. It's, a, it's probably why we're still alive today. But when we live in a world where these stresses um, that cause us to go into this fight or flight response uh, don't necessarily disappear because it becomes things like your job, your social life, um, again, things that are happening in the world, you know, things that don't necessarily go away within a couple of minutes. It's they're always there. So people start to learn how to breathe in a way that is stressful. That also, like you say, causes more stress in the body because the way that we breathe not only is a reflection of how we feel, but our, if we start to change our breathing, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, it's going to further affect what's happening inside of us. So it's kind of like a two-way street and sometimes can be a vicious cycle when we get caught in these loops of stress, anxiety, panic, worry, these kinds of things. So even just becoming aware of that and breaking that cycle uh, can be life-changing for some people. And I think this is the thing that I have really come to find so valuable when I've read about breathwork, when I've spoken to people about just the power of breathing is first of all, if you use it to your benefit, the benefits can be huge. But second of all, it's probably the thing that we hear about the least when it comes to soothing ourselves or calming ourselves down. I've just had a press release this morning about how in lockdown, the amount of uh, prescriptions for antidepressants, for example, and anti-anxiety med medication have gone through the roof. And yet, obviously there are some cases where that's absolutely essential, but breathing can have a really powerful, powerful impact on that. And it's free. Exactly. You know, until they start taxing air, it's free. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, of course, like you say, sometimes it's, it's nice to use, to have um, Western medicine and these, um, these options available to us, particularly as a crutch, if we're really, really down in the dumps and it might just help to give us that leg up in order to be able to work on ourselves, to move us um, forward in our own development. But there's something really empowering about knowing that just by breathing in certain ways that you can have such a large effect on your physiology, that's what's happening inside of your body and also how you think and how you feel. Mm. Um, it's like a free medicine, right? And if only we all knew how to use it, something that probably should be taught in schools, I think, um, so that, you know, all of everybody has access to this. It's even when I was reading the book, I was thinking your book, Exhale Listeners, which I will um, obviously put a link to in the show notes. I was thinking of kids who get put on the naughty step or who get a time out. The messaging that's not added to any of those things is breathe. Because <laughs> mm. that's essentially what you want the child to do. If the child, you know, if you've got a child who's being naughty or causing a bit of a stir, you want them to come down a notch or two. And the only way they're going to do that when they take their time out is rather than sitting there stewing and be angry is to breathe. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than, you know, punishing somebody for their feelings, how about we give them the tools to be able to have more 
control or more power over how they feel so they can manage themselves, um, manage their nervous systems, um, manage their hormones. All these things that affect our day-to-day experience can be affected by the breath. So yeah, I completely agree with you there. I uh, Listeners all know, regular listeners will know that I am not a big fan of plinky plonky twinky twonky nonsense meaning i don't like woo woo things i don't particularly believe in lunar cycles or crystals or any of those things but when it comes to partly because it's uh, intangible it's very difficult to show me a clinical paper that shows me any scientific evidence and because breath is free and because you can't see it, you could sort of apply a similar logic saying, well, yeah, sure, I slow down my breathing and I'm going to sort out my hormones, Emma. But actually, the one thing we do have with breathing that we don't have with other, say, invisible or free things is the scientific data that backs all of this up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are countless studies now on all sorts of different types of breathing because remember, there's no one type of breath work or breathing. There's all sorts, but, um, you know, clinical trials, case studies, so many different things have been done around how can people use their breath for all sorts of different reasons. And there's still lots more to go. Don't get me wrong. And in fact, one of the most exciting frontiers of breathwork, I believe anyway, is something called integrative breathwork, which is an incredible style for working with um, trauma, particularly. So it's a really therapeutic style of breath. And that isn't fully scientifically understood yet. However, for me, in terms of how it can have impact on people's lives, it is by far the most impactful and can really transform someone within an hour. So, you know, the getting people into fMRIs and doing brain scans while they're doing these techniques still, I don't think has happened yet. I haven't seen anybody do it yet, but hopefully soon. But when it comes to things like understanding how your breath affects uh, your nervous system, particularly um, activating a parasympathetic response, the rest and digest response is so well documented now um, and understood. And I think it's still just the beginning because you're so right, you know, science is the language of our time, isn't it? You know, once we understand things through science, then a lot of people can go, you know what? Oh, I, I get it now. This may, I can, I can believe this. I can allow this to be true for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really exciting. The more and more that we can study, I think the more and more that people will uh, start to pay attention to this little thing called breathing. I love what you said there about science as the language of our time, because you're completely right. And one of the things that you reference in the book it is basically like the ancient studies that this has been done for many, many centuries. And it was proven anecdotally. And what's been so wonderful is that all of those different cultures that have used breathing have since been able to scientifically support all of those claims that before were just, you know, cited by a very wise person within that community and you kind of believe them, but now you can really back it up. Exactly. You know, it makes, I was thinking about this the other day, um, how, you know, so let's take some of the, let's take breathing, for example, and, and the ancient styles of breath that come from traditions such as yoga. So yoga, the, the yogic style of breath works called pranayam, things that the Chinese medical styles of breathing that come from Qigong, you know, that now have had some scientific rigor applied to it. You know, these, techniques and these methods they were all true even before science validated that they were true but now science has validated that they are true so it does make me wonder i wonder 
what else is true that we just haven't given the green tick of approval yet. And for me, that's exciting. You know, I've always kind of had this real excitement about the potential of things, where things can go, always looking forward. And um, so I think, you know, I always wonder and like to try things out. I almost almost like to window shop lots of different, whether it's techniques or methods or experiences, just different things to that maybe are a little bit fringe and a little bit woo-woo just to go, oh, I wonder if there's something here that maybe one day science is going to come along and say, actually, they were right yeah. um, or they were wrong. Who knows? But um, But yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, imagine if I have to make a formal apology to the crystal healing community. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I always say? I always say, you know, I hold all perspectives and all views lightly in front of you. Not necessarily saying this is wrong because science doesn't prove it. You can just look at it and say, okay, well, that exists. And some people like that. And that's interesting. Yeah, not really for me right now. But if one day science comes around and proves it, fantastic. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, it's... It's hold, holding um, all views lightly in front of you. I like that. Now, um, you obviously have your own journey in terms of how you came to be the breath guy. And I would really love to hear it if that's okay, because it does feel like you're not just going to be on your way to work. I know we're talking about commuting in a time when we're currently in lockdown and suddenly think, oh, I should really think about my breathing more. It's everyone I've spoken to who has become a real champion for breathing, has had a particular event happen that has set them on the journey. And I'm thinking about previous guest, James Nestor. And I'm also thinking about someone whose exercises I do frequently, Wim Hof. And I know that you also have been, uh, you've done the Wim Hof method, which I'm very jealous about. So I just wondered if you wouldn't mind explaining your path to discovery of really understanding the value and benefit of breath work and breathing. Yeah, you're so right. You know, people don't come out of high school thinking I'm going to go to university and teach people how to breathe. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, my my professional career actually started in management consulting. Um, so I worked in one of those big consulting firms for about six years or so. Uh, eventually decided that wasn't for me and left that and went into the world of digital entrepreneurship, learned how to code and was building apps and kind of got into the tech startup world. But it was, you know, around about that transition that my family got some pretty bad news that my dad was diagnosed with MS, multiple sclerosis, which is an autoimmune disease that, and like all autoimmune diseases, there's no you know, magic pill that you can take and it just disappears. Uh, it's quite often something that people deal with for a lifetime and um, slowly progresses more and more and more and degrades the nervous system and therefore the body. And so I was always looking for ways to be able to help dad whether it's through alternative treatments or therapies, um, changes in lifestyle, changes in diet, just keeping an open mind and an open eye for what might what other things might be available. And it was through uh, my research that I came across Mr. Wim Hof, the Iceman himself. And for anyone yes. who hasn't doesn't know about him, he's called the Iceman and he's famous because he holds 20 plus world records all related to cold exposure. So things like swimming under ice for the longest distance. He nearly summited Everest just wearing shorts and hiking boots and nothing else. Um, you know, sitting in an ice bath for a ridiculously long time. You know, all these crazy kind of feats and stunts in the cold. But it was through his experience and through his training for these stunts that he 
came across what he calls the Wim Hof method or developed what's called the Wim Hof method now. Um, and he started training it to other people. And through this training, they started to experience a relief in various symptoms, very fit, whether it's physically, uh, feeling a greater quality of life, whether, and, um, you know, just all sorts of different benefits. So it eventually turned into, I guess you could say some sort of wellness technique that everyone can do every single day, just as a way to be able to feel stronger, be happier and, and more healthy. And it involves cold exposure. It wouldn't be a technique by the Iceman if there wasn't some form of cold exposure. So it could be as simple as taking a cold shower um, every day, but then also breathing techniques. And uh, so why this caught my attention was uh, in this specific interview, he was saying how good it is for people who have autoimmune issues. So I went, all right, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And uh, I went to my dad and was like, Hey dad. Um, so my dad, he's, his back, he's, he's a old school Brit, right. You know? So, uh, I went to him and I was like, Hey mate, <laughs> this Dutch guy called the Iceman says that if you do some breathing every morning and then take a cold shower, it's going to help your MS. What do you think? And naturally he was like, that sounds like the most stupid thing I've ever heard. I'm just going to pretend that you didn't say anything and just get on with my life. <laughs> Bless him. But, you know, sometimes you have some intuition or a gut feeling that there's something there. So I ended up traveling to Poland um, to do a, a week-long retreat uh, in this tiny little village in the middle of winter where we would learn the Wim Hof method and then do all the crazy stuff that Wim does, swimming in the ice water, hiking around in the snow, barefoot in your shorts, um, climbing mountains and all that crazy stuff. So I ended up going because I just wanted to investigate and see if there was something here for dad and just ended up having the most life-changing experience where it shattered every single belief I had around what's possible for human beings um, with all the cold exposure work that we're doing, you know, um, hiking around in the snow, barefoot in your shorts for hours on end, minus three degrees outside, climbing the tallest mountain in Poland. Once again, just in your shorts, minus 19 degrees, you know, and there were 25 of us in this retreat, some old, some young, some fit, some not fit, men, women, everybody. And no one got as much as a sniffle the entire week. So it really shifts in a massive way what you think is possible and opens up to yourself to the idea that maybe we don't know what's possible for us yet. But for me, although the cold stuff sounds like the most amazing thing in the world, what was most impactful for me was the breath work. So every morning we would go into the basement of this hotel and we would be led through the sequence of different breathing techniques for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and just go into these incredible altered states of consciousness, you could say, where you get to experience yourself so much more deeply, whether that is a blissful experience, whether it's a powerful feeling of I can do anything, whether it's a challenging feeling of feeling some sort of trauma that you've been holding in your body for perhaps years and really feeling that integrating it and allowing that energy to shift. Um, all sorts of different things. Everyone had lots of different experiences throughout the week, but it really just hit me um, so hard how you can have such a powerful experience just by breathing for a little, you know, in a certain way for a little bit. So to cut a long story short, came back home and shared the technique with dad, you know, fast forward years down the track to where we are now. And 
He's, he does his breathing every day, takes his cold showers every day. He changes diet as well, which is very important for, um, I believe, for any autoimmune issue. And the progression of his MS from that point completely stopped in its tracks. So it's obviously hugely profound for our family. Um, but for me, I was then, I just then decided, you know what, um, if breathing can do this and can, and knowing my own experiences, because I was also going through my own battles with, with depression and doubt and understanding what is my purpose here. And a lot of kind of existential anxiety, I'd say kind of like a quarter life crisis. And, um, which is a thing now I'm telling you, everything's just accelerated. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up traveling around the world for the next three and a half years, learning from all sorts of different people who were doing something interesting with breathing, whether it was breathwork masters, yogis, psychologists, counselors, university researchers, doctors, um, even athletic coaches and physiotherapists. And uh, yeah, just really wanted to understand from all the different lenses what the breath can do for us. And now I'm in a very fortunate position where it's it's what I teach and it's what I can do. And to be able to share what I love and feel so passionate about is a real blessing. So it sounds like you could probably, uh, a quarter life crisis notwithstanding, you could probably compartmentalize your life into before breath work and after breath work. Absolutely. Um, with many, many stages in those as well, but there definitely is a before and after. Um, you know, it's quite funny. I, I, I mostly walk around in the most comfortable clothing, like Lululemon and stuff like that these days of which I'm an ambassador of. And, um, but back in the day, I was a straight up suit and tie kind of fella and uh, working at a very fast paced um, job, long hours and, you know, really felt like I needed to be in control of everything in my life, really a bit OCD-ish around control. And I can say, Breathwork for me was the biggest thing that shifted um, my whole mentality and my whole approach in life to be able to, you know, I would say surrender into flow is the best way and to trust that life has my back and that whatever is thrown into thrown in front of me is exactly what I'm supposed to be um, experiencing, whether it's planned or unplanned. And in fact, some of the greatest things that have ever happened in my life are the things that have been unplanned. So you know, shifting from that, I need to know everything and have control over everything that happens to me. And I experience in my life to the best things that happen to me, the things I don't have control over and I don't know are coming is a pretty massive shift. And I think one that could be useful for many people. Do you know what? It just made me think about a quote I saw on Instagram yesterday. So I've just gone to find it, which is by uh, John McAvoy, who's been a guest on this podcast. And it says, staying positive does not mean that things will turn out okay. Rather, it is knowing that you will be okay, no matter how things turn out. Oh, gorgeous. And I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I was exactly the same. And when I read in your bio that you'd been um, a corporate, in corporate management uh, and had been a digital entrepreneur, I immediately even just seeing those words, seeing those descriptions made me think of pressure, of stress, of... And also in those roles, generally, in any job, let's face it, you have it's almost as if you have to present as stressed, because if you're not presenting as stressed, then you might not be taking your job seriously. You know, 
So this is a bit cheeky to talk about, but I'll say it anyway. You know, when I used to work in what in the firm, my consulting firm I used to work at, and one of the I moved around in a few divisions, but one of the divisions I was in early on, um, you know, they would present to the entire firm or to the entire division everybody's overtime hours, and it became a it became a competition to see who could work the hardest or work the at least work the longest anyway. And it became a thing of if you're not working overtime, then are you, what are you doing? You know, and sometimes you hear those stories, particularly in some Eastern or Asian cultures where, you know, the, the employees aren't allowed to leave until the boss leaves. So mm-hmm. even if you have absolutely nothing to do, you should probably hold the stack of papers and do some laps around the office to look busy, you know? So we do, I think in many ways, glorify busyness a little bit. And, and I think that's something that needs to change. I 100% agree with you. I think I look back on my career when I used to work for people and I was always trying to present in a way that meant, look at how much I care. And Mm. actually I have no control over how they perceive me, but what I was doing internally was just internally, I was stressed, even if it was just to present as stressed. So it was kind of like a pointless manifestation of stress in my mind and body. Well, if you practice something long enough, then your body's going to get pretty good at doing it, whether you want to or not. <laughs> um, I, regular listeners will know, long-time listeners will know that that was how I, how I was for a very long time. And I guess it kind of, when I look back now, I think me developing depression, anxiety, and ultimately having a breakdown was inevitable given that constant stress I was putting my body through. And the, the things that I learned if I, if you gave me five seconds and said, right, how did you, what are the things that really worked? I would say slowing down and breathing. And then I would add cold onto that as well, but we'll come back to that in a minute. So did you have in that job, were you in a constant state of stress? And actually when you went on your own journey, as much as it was finding out things for your dad, was there a part of you that, did you ever think I'm on a path to burnout or I'm on a path to I don't know, a cataclysmic mental or physical breakdown. You know, I was, I was um, towards the back end of my career in that consulting firm, slowly, I would say over a period of maybe 18 months to two years, falling into that, that, that depression uh, state where, you know, everyone experiences depression differently. But for me, what it became was this numbing out to everything in life where there were no highs or no lows, I just completely shut myself off from my feelings so much that everything was just this numbness. And it got to a point where eventually I was like, I am kind of miserable all the time, this existing in this low level misery. And, you know, what am I doing? And of course, when you are in it, it's so hard to see, isn't it? Like you just, you you can't see the forest for the trees. Um, So you know, you really need to create space, I believe. And whenever I kind of see people who are in that state or in a rut, I always ask, what is the quickest and easiest way for you to create some sort of space? And for me, it meant I need to take time off work. I need to get out of this country. I need to get out of the normal environment and the normal routine that I'm in and just do something completely different for a little while. So I ended up taking three months off work and uh, traveling to Peru um, and just volunteering in orphanages in Peru for three months. And, you know, it sounds, you know, inconspicuous, but 
it was that experience that created the space for me to be able to see how I was, what I was doing and get some clarity and insight as to why um, I was feeling the way I was. And it gave me the, the courage as well to come back and say, you know what, I'm going to make some changes. And actually it was within about you know, less than two weeks, I think about 11 days of getting back that I ended a long-term relationship that I was in that was not right for me and quit my job, sold everything I owned except for a backpack and a suitcase of clothes and moved out of Australia uh, and went to Hong Kong. So it was, I kind of took it as a ripping the bandaid off, you know, technique or scenario. I just had to do it quickly. And, um, and yeah, it was then around that time, funnily enough, again, it always, everything sort of happens for a reason that I came across Wim Hof and started to look at breath work and what it could do and then have that experience in Poland. It all happened quite quickly and set me off on a journey, but it was, you know, initially I, I, at that time, and maybe that was part of what kind of spurred me on to go to Poland as well, was I was searching for my purpose. I was searching for direction. You know, I just had opened myself up to a whole new life that I'd never known. You know, I started working at um, the firm and uh, at the tender age of 19 at full time. So it was all I knew was this crazy, hectic lifestyle. Um, so to go from that to just complete freedom and with no idea where I'm going or a clue what's going to happen, but trusting that um, led me down the path to find breath work. Ultimately, I would say, you know, although dad was the catalyst for me going, probably the person who's benefited the most from it was me, you know, in terms of the kinds of revelations that I've had, the releases of um, trauma, emotional tension that's been built up in my system. Um, the understanding and integration of the various events and conditioning that I've had throughout my life and, and working out how that can become a resource for me going forward. You know, it really provided some clarity on who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, at, at least for myself, I've always been one of these people who likes to think in big pictures, you know, from, from a, the youngest age, I was always w wondering why am I here? What is, what am I supposed to be doing? What is my role in this world? And um, so when that builds up for long enough, you kind of go a little bit crazy when you can't find the answer. But I think breath really helped me to find that answer. And as soon as I decided, you know what, this is what I'm going to share with the world. Inst um, I would say instantly there was just this oh, collective sigh and everything became still. And uh, I still experience that stillness every time I teach breath work, that everything just kind of comes down a level. And so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly been a journey. So there are so many tent poles now. When I started, it was like, oh, slowing down and breathing. And now I've added cold still, because mm. you're absolutely right. <laughs> and there are some other ones. But I just want to quickly go back and uh, just dig into something that you said about you ripped the Band-Aid off and you made a lot of changes in your life. And that can sound absolutely terrifying, particularly if it involves giving up a job, because let's face it, that's how we put roofs over our heads. That's how we keep ourselves warm, feed ourselves. So to reject or to walk away from money, a career can seem really daunting, but uh, I've done it too in my life a couple of times. And I also look back and think, had I not done that, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I'm really happy that I've 
have had the opportunities I've had since then, but it was quite drastic. Do you often, if someone's listening to this, what I'm trying to get to, if someone's listening to this and they maybe feel a bit stuck and they're feeling it's better the devil I know than taking a risk Mm. and throwing my life up in the air, what would you say to somebody who's in that predicament where they're trying to stay safe, but there's a real yearning to want to see what's on the other side of a risk? You know, I, it's what a what a brilliant question, and I actually I believe that so many people are in this situation right now. Um, there are so many ways I feel to to go about something like this, and everybody is different. Um, but I think it's important, and what actually what you just said as well around you know people feel like it's safer to be in known uh, certain unhappiness rather than strive for uncertain happiness, right? Mm. And, you know, I think there's also a lot of societal pressure to be a certain way and that there's a certain path in life that everybody follows that guarantees what we might determine or define as a successful or happy life. When really that's outrageous. Everybody is different. Everyone has different passions, different hopes, different dreams. Um, so, you know, I would just say, one, if you can work out a way to create some space for yourself, to come out of your normal environment, uh, to, to remove yourself from the pressures of daily life, from the people that are around you who expect you to act a certain way and therefore you feel like you need to be that way, um, you know, particularly a physical environment as well, where you kind of have these behaviors and personalities and reflexes and reactions anchored to that area to somewhere completely new and see if you can spend a little bit of time there doing something different, surrounded by different people. And what I did is, you know, not everyone could take three months. I so appreciate that, but anytime that you can, but to also revisit the idea that the way that you are might not necessarily be who you are. And that perhaps if you relax into the idea that somebody, you might be somebody different, can open up a whole new uh, part of yourself that has been neglected. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was on the plane going to Peru, taking this three months. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Off. I still have this diary. You know, I kept a travel diary the entire time and I wrote down on it, um, forget who you think you are. 
because you're going to a brand new place where nobody knows who you are. So don't think about how you usually act or what you, how you would usually respond to things or how you behave. Just throw it away and become more spontaneous and just see what comes out. So every morning I would wake up and say a little mantra to myself a few times of, you know, forget who you are, forget who you are, let it go. And within, I would say about 10 days, you know, I, I would came a quite a drastically different person and even things like the way I laughed changed, you know, like it was very, very fascinating. And it was this gentle opening up into more, to more parts of me that I think gave me the clarity to go, you know what, what I was experiencing was and living day to day was such a limited part of who I am and that there's so much more to me that holds for Lisa, for me will hold so much more excitement and potential. And even though I do not fully understand what that looks like yet, I'm going to go in that direction because there's something there. So we become habituated, you know, we're as human beings, we're habit forming machines. So can you start to understand that maybe a lot of how you act each day is just out of habit rather than out of authenticity and what is there for you in that authenticity that you're yet to explore? That, I've written down so many things that you've just said <laughs> because they are wonderful. But do you know what really struck me about the forget who you think you are? And that's something that you're telling yourself is that I think, well, I can definitely think about how I have tried to change who I am based on what I think other people think. Mm. Like, uh, I'm thinking about working environments or what dynamic was there. You know, you put people in a big brother house, someone's always going to be the alpha or the, you know, all of that kind of structure. Where do I fit in and trying to tweak my behavior to be perceived and treated a different way when actually it, <laughs> I've just realized it doesn't matter what other people's perception is. I should have been thinking about how I thought of myself. And I yes. love that idea of forgetting who you think you are and who did you think you were? Could you put it into words and did you, could you put into words what you think you became? Who you yeah. Are well, I can definitely describe, you know, I, I was certainly modeling myself after my father, you know, I, I wanted to step into his shoes cause I loved him so much and I wanted to be just like him, you know, and to this day, my dad's my, you know, he's my hero, you know? And so I was wanting to be him and which actually meant, you know, my dad worked in management consulting as well. I was, you know, almost to the month was following the exact same career path that he was. Wow. Um, and a lot of people, you know, constantly would say things growing up. Oh, you remind me just like your dad, of your father, you're just like your dad, just like your dad. And I used to love that, you know, I, like I really felt it. And it wasn't until acting, trying to be somebody else pulled me so far away from who I am that it led to these feelings of disconnection, this feeling of this, this depressive um, moment that I experienced. Um, but it very, you know, it very much was that career driven um, kind of human being that wanted to be in control and plan everything. And, you know, I, I, I think from when I was 17 years onwards, I had a 10 year plan, a rolling 10 year plan. And um, 
you know, marked down to the quarter of the things that I wanted to have done, had to have achieved and these kinds of things, places I want to live in the world. I was like, I'm going to meet somebody at this time and marry them here and then have children here and da, 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 have the house by this time, be a partner of the firm by this time, you know, just thinking that you could do that. Um, and I think it's quite a contrast to where I am now, where I barely know what I'm doing tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but you know, if I had to describe who I am now, um, gosh, you know, you know, I, I like to think of things like this. I tend not to define myself by what I think or how I, how I act or what I do for people or myself or the results I get, I guess, in one way, if you look at it from a work perspective, I just want to be someone that shows up and does their best really. Um, and trusts and can love freely give and receive love. Um, you know, I think there's a huge disconnect right now, particularly, I mean, really everywhere in many places in the world, around why is it that we're actually here on this earth inhabiting this earth and is society structured in such a way that supports that idea you know if 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 it really if the point of being here on this earth is just to be able to freely express yourself for your unique talents your unique gifts and to be able to share in loving moments and give love and receive love and then also feel and, and experience all the downs of life as well um, to feel all of it and to be part of all of it in this great tapestry of life, then, you know, it, how, how is society structured for that for us to be able to do that? And if you look at it hard enough, a lot of the times you can see it's not. Um, and I think that's why, in an age of information where people are being exposed to more and more paths, more and more outcomes, more and more possibilities um, of what a life could look like. You know, we look at social media, we see what everyone's at least perceived lives look like anyway. And then people start going, well, what about me? What, what am I doing? Um, that's why I think like we joked about a quarter life crisis, but I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why younger people are experiencing these breakdowns much earlier because back in the day before social media and the flow of information, we really only had close contact with the group around us and therefore, you know, weren't necessarily exposed to all these different options and possibilities and be able to compare and these kinds of things. Whereas now, because, you know, our teenagers are experiencing and exposed to all sorts of lives, possibilities, information, they're constantly now thinking, well, what do I do? How do I fit in? And starts to create that kind of, social anxiety so to speak so that was um a short way to answer your question <laughs> <laughs> no i enjoyed it very much thank you so let's talk about you go on these trips you discover you discover the power of breath work and you're not going to go back to designing apps although you do have an amazing app um you're not going to go back to doing that kind of a job this is going to be your vocation how did you how did you make that decision and how if you've been in corporate management you probably understand profit and loss how to build a business and all of those things how do you how do you how do you make it your life but also make it your living 
And was it just such a powerful and compelling draw to do it that it was just, I'm not going to put together that structured plan. I'm just going to go for it because I know it's right. I still remember, yeah, the exact day that I decided that this is what was going to happen. And I was in Mexico, lying in a hammock, <laughs> uh, journaling away after. So I, I lived um, in Mexico for a month with one of my teachers. His name's Dan Brule, And we were doing a lot of breathing on ourselves and breathing other people. And yeah, it was one of these days in Mexico that I just wrote down, this is what I'm going to do. Like, this is it. And, you know, well, you're right. Like with, with having a business background, you start to wonder, well, how is this going to work from a business perspective? You know, how can it be profitable? How can I put food on the table? How can I afford to live in central London? You know, these kinds of things. Um, and I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I think that when I moved to London, things happened quite quickly in terms of finding clients, finding opportunities, that sort of thing. And a lot of people have asked me, so how did that happen? What, what, what was your strategy to get out there, you know, and to make, like you say, your, your, your life, your living. And um, I wish I could give a better answer of how it happened because really it just sort of happened. But what I will say was I made a, a, a conscious decision um, that really the only way that this was going to work is if I could breathe as many people as possible, which meant just saying yes to basically everything, even if it was free, you know, just put the work out there that this is something that's available for everybody and let the work speak for itself. That's what I always believed. Um, so there was, I guess, a lot of, I guess you can use the term hustle, right? In the beginning where I was just running over London, just giving sessions, giving sessions, giving sessions constantly. Um, you know, where there's a, there's a popular uh, wellness festival in London called Balance Festival. And um, I, was I was working there with one gym who had like a, they had a, a store for the full three days and they were giving classes. So I, they wanted me to share breath work. And I said, yes. And they said, how many do you want to do? And I said, as many as possible, which meant, all of the slots. Um, so I ended up teaching, I think it was 26 classes in three days, you know? So really just going, I just need to show up for people, be there, share the work and let the results speak for themselves. And I think that's kind of how it happened, you know, like not really with a whole lot of strategy around um, even, even the breath guy branding, for example, like the name itself came very organically just because in the very beginning, that's how people were introducing me to other people. You know, I actually had a, like a business name, you know, and I could, and, and people just kept saying, Hey, you know, introduce me to their friends. This is the breathing guy or the breath guy that I was telling you about. And it just happened over and over again. I thought, well, I guess this is a thing. And then I was like, I think I should roll with this. And yeah, it's worked out pretty well, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was just a lot of trust and a lot of, just showing up and doing my best. You use the phrase breathe as many people as possible. So, and breathe and uh, to breathe people. That's, I've, I've not heard that phraseology before. So that's how you refer to it. 
Yeah, I don't think I may have made it up. I don't know, but it's <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's what I say. If, if I'm giving sessions to people with um, so using using breath work as a modality, I always say, oh, I'm give, I'll give I'll give you a breathe, or I'll breathe you, or I've just been breathed. You know. <laughs> and so, for someone listening to this, because um, obviously you do one to one sessions, which we'll dig into now. But you have, as we've mentioned, you have an app so you can do guided breath session, breathing sessions with you. You have the Sunday service. Uh, your Instagram is chock full of lots of different breathing techniques. And it's not a case of you click on one of the squares and write you're in some sort of big old session. You've even got one which is just about the power of a good sigh. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sighing is one of our greatest breathing techniques that we do every day anyway. We just don't know that we can use it on purpose as a very real physical, mental, and emotional reset. But, um, you know, if we look at breath work as a spectrum of potential techniques and that kind of thing, you know, in its simplest form, it is something like a sigh. It is something like just paying attention to your breathing. It could be learning how to use a certain technique for just a couple of minutes to create a change in your nervous system, maybe calming you down if you feel stressed or even creating energy if you're feeling lethargic or tired. And then you can do um, more dedicated deep breathing practices, things like the, uh, pranayam, qigong, um, Wim Hof method, you know, where you might be breathing in certain ways for 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and some more involved breath practice. And then in its most exciting, I believe, form, it's the therapeutic styles of breath, like integrative breath work, which usually goes a little something like lying down with a facilitator for an hour, hour and a half and breathing in certain ways to create some drastic uh, changes in um, how you perceive things and, you know, perhaps integrate some things that have happened to you in the past or to gain new insight or have revelation on things that you could do in the future. So lots of different options. And uh, so on the app, we do some really great breathing uh, breathwork classes live streamed on there um, and also lots of pre-recorded stuff on there as well. Um, I'm currently mentioned Sunday service. Um, so I'm currently during the month of January and February, 2021, just to support everyone through, I guess all lockdowns, but I guess it was inspired with the UK lockdown. Um, just to support everyone through this time, I'm doing some 45 to 50 minute, uh, breathwork sessions Thursday evenings as well. So Thursday and Sunday evenings. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, there's so many different entry points to start to build a relationship with your breath and everyone's at different stages in their lives and need different things. And the cool thing about the breath is that it's, it's kind of like the Swiss army knife for the body. You know, you've got something that you can use in so many different ways to create all sorts of different benefits. So it's really up to you as to how you want to get started. There's an interesting in the book, what you do is you actually go through what kind of breather you are, because I'm thinking about someone listening to this, you might be thinking, really another thing to worry about my breath like seriously like that's just something that happens automatically I've got bills to pay I haven't got time to pay attention to my breathing but what are the benefits of actually understanding what your um what type of breather you are the way that we breathe is so intimately linked to our nervous system it can't help but reflect how we are feeling or what's happening internally inside of us. Um, so if you can start to pay attention to your breathing and start to build a relationship with your breath, then actually you can gain so much information from it 
around how you are at that moment in time. Um, so that, I mean, that's just one piece, but you know, the, so many of us don't breathe in a way that is optimal. So, you know, just by changing your breathing, there's potentials for more energy, feeling more calm, feeling more creative, getting better sleep, um, just by changing the way that you breathe and noticing how you breathe day to day. So many um, people who have some sort of breathing pan disorder will experience like very real symptoms that can also be misdiagnosed as other things, you know, even sometimes asthma, for example, asthma might not necessarily just be asthma. It might be something to do with the way that you breathe um, every day. So there's lots and lots and lots of different things that can be understood by understanding what kind of breather you are and learning to observe it, seeing how it changes throughout the day based off what you're doing, based off how you're feeling, um, as well as then also learning how to use it uh, to create lots of other benefits for yourself. I um, recently had Dr. Gabia Tolakita on the podcast. She's a neuroscientist who essentially talked, we talked about a lot, but one of the things she talked about a lot was the amygdala and mm. how the amygdala is this very tiny part of the brain, but oh, so powerful and how important it is to calm the amygdala and actually how even though it is this tiny part of the brain modern living actually means that not only is it triggered a lot but it's informing a lot of our actions and decisions because it doesn't give us that when it's activated it doesn't give us that beat to think about what we say what we do or what we act and that's why maybe culturally there's a lot of very reactive people out there on social media in the street whatever you might think is that one of the most useful things you found recently in terms of breathing, given what everyone is going through? That um, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I don't have time to meditate, all of these things I'm being told to do to calm down, it could actually just be as simple as taking 60 seconds to just observe your breath, to, to break that cycle with the amygdala and stop it from making you angry. So... Breath work, I find, is you can kind of think of it like uh, meditation for people that can't meditate. And, you know, for the longest time, we've had thought of meditation as the most ideal way to, to learn how to be calm and to train yourself to be calm. But it's really hard and it takes time and it takes practice. And that's because, you know, you're using the mind to get a hold of the mind. Whereas when you start to learn how to use your breath instead, um, physiologically, your breath starts to change how your nervous system is firing, the activity in your amygdala, like you said. Um, and therefore, you're using your body to get a hold of your mind. And it can happen quickly. So it does take, you know, with, it can, within a minute, you'll start to see massive changes in how your nervous system is firing, bringing yourself back, if this is what you want to do, bringing yourself back into a place of calm and centeredness. Um, you know, if you can go for a little bit longer, two to three minutes, even better. If you can go for five minutes, wow, what a luxury. How great is it that you can take five minutes out of your life to feel good for no reason other than that you're breathing. Um, but it's a really great thing to be able to start to incorporate as a habit. Um, and it's something that I teach, for example, when I do a lot of corporate work, um, particularly, you know, teaching uh, how to breathe for focus or how to 
breathe for creativity or to make decisions to increase performance. Because what's the old saying is you're only ever as good as your state. Hmm. So, you know, you could be, you could be confronted with the exact same obstacle, the exact same task. And if you are in a place of, you know, being flustered or stressed or anxious, then you're not going to be able to perform or to be able to be as productive as if you came from a place of, you know, relaxed focus. So knowing that the breath can change that for you, you know, within a few minutes, um, you know, really can be quite profound. Do you think that modern living, and I'm talking about corporate, so people listening to this who might have really tense job situations, you know, the, the manager who, when they see their email come into their inbox, it immediately fires up that panic response. Do you think that that world and its productivity can go hand in hand with what you're saying? That the, the idea of slowing oneself down, do you think that ultimately if you come out of that gear, maybe that world isn't for you. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Like, it's a, it's a good question. It's a really good question because I would agree with you that, you know, especially when we talk about things like <laughs> we're going into like organizational psychology, right? Where the tone of an organization has to be set from the top down. And there are, you know, brilliant organizations out there that have all these things in mind and, and promote these initiatives around um, wellness, being able to make sure that their employees are being given the space that they need in order to flourish, you know, rather than, you know, head to the ground, nose to the grindstone all the time. I just need output from you. Um, it's a funny old thing, you know, I, I'm a, uh, thinking about my old consulting firm, I used to find it so interesting how specifically like something consulting where your asset is your people, you know, you're literally selling your people to clients, um, how there isn't more of an emphasis on treating those people like Kings and Queens, you know, if, uh, and, uh, make, and making them so happy that they are, all they want to do is delight their clients as well. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably what's going to change. And there are a lot of interesting organizations out there that work with leadership um, and bringing, I guess you could say, a more conscious and sometimes even heart-centered approach into, into leadership um, so that they can create that top-down, um, almost waterfall effect of, of change. And so I think it's exciting, but at the same time, you know, I would just say that if you can take, if you're questioning if this is right for me or not, if you can create a focus to be still in the time that you can be still, create stillness rather than distraction. So rather than trying to stay busy, even outside of your work life, can you create some space just to be still and be quiet? Because what eventually bubbles up is this intuition and this feeling and start to see if you can understand or start to interpret what this intuition is trying to tell you. And that will be your answer. And it might not be what you want to hear. It might be really scary. It might be um, something that seems unpleasant to do, but, you know, obviously, you know, do the things that seem sensible, look after yourself and make sure that you are, you know, supported, but maybe be brave also. Do you think that 
internally we're all there's a part there's a small part of all of us that's trying to steer us in the right direction and by right direction from what you say are you know to your most authentic self mm. but that so many things get layered on top of that that at some point you just stop hearing it you know um and this is where we we might go slightly woo woo but um you know it is my belief that there is a universal intelligence that governs everything and i don't mean it necessarily as like there's a big man upstairs with a big white beard that's saying this is what's going to happen i don't mean that at all i mean that there does seem to be some sort of order this unifying order in the world um you know they say i'm just trying to remember exactly what it is um it's it's just it's just i'm just losing it so don't take it as a quote specifically but it's something like in order for like if 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 the dna constructional makeup of an um that makes up an ant was left to pure chance and you had let's say a, a supercomputer running through all the options to create the exact dna structure that creates an ant it would take more time than the universe has existed to create. So for it to be a completely random chance that all these things that we exist, that we exist and to, to be, um, statistically is impossible. So that, you know, now you start to think about things like that and you go, wow, you know, maybe there is something that kind of binds us all together and you know we can start to and that's what i believe your intuition is or you know simply just coming into alignment or centeredness within yourself that maybe there is a part of you and this is where we have to learn to move out of our heads because our heads are so good at plugging us into the outside world and interacting with the outside world making decisions um understanding social structures all these kinds of things but if we do talk about an intuition or a sense or a gut feeling. That's why we call it a gut feeling. It's not in the head, it's in the body. So becoming embodied, turning, quietening the mind, opening the heart and seeing if there is um, maybe a little voice or a little feeling or a little something that's waiting to be acknowledged. You know, you've said something that uh, a few people have said to me on this podcast and also uh, in interviews that haven't taken place on tape. Uh, and the last person who said it to me on this podcast, I think was Jeff Thompson. And it's this idea. And when I sat with Jeff Thompson, it was a real surprise to me that he wasn't a beam, a, a ball of light in front of me rather than this man, because he just seemed so evolved and so... Um, awakened actually and he is somebody who has said on this podcast about we're not in it we're not individuals we are all connected and as soon as you understand that everything falls into place and it's obviously quite hard to see it with everything that we have going on in the world but it's really interesting that you say that actually if you quiet yourself and you listen to your intuition that's not just your voice that's the collective voice if you like trying to steer you towards what you're supposed to be Absolutely. And there are so many different um, names for this collective oneness that we all experience, which has been in many forms of, you know, um, religion and philosophy forever. But, you know, more these days, we start to understand it as perhaps like a, a unified field, you know, or that we are 
some people will refer to it as the quantum field, you know, and I always am a bit careful with the word quantum because it feels like, or you just throw quantum in front of anything and all of a sudden it becomes scientific. But, um, you know, there's a bit of that in the kind of spiritual new agey world. Um, but it's quantum, you know, baby. Yeah, it's just quantum. It's just quantum. You don't need to understand. It. It's just quantum. Um, but you know, there is this. You know, and Rupert Sheldrake calls it the um, the morphic field um, or morphic resonance. So there does seem to be some sort of way that we're all entangled together. And I like to think of it much more like, you know, maybe we're all you can uh, we're all cells of a larger organism, which itself is part of another larger organism, which itself is another part of a larger organism. It's called the fractal nature of the universe, where everything is just a, is the same at different scales, essentially. And we can see that in so many different ways. You can look at the structure of certain plants and flowers and then see how they hold the same structure as galaxies, for example, you know? So we do live in this fractal existence, um, which then again implies that there is some sort of order that we don't fully understand yet. So it's exciting and I can't wait for science to work it out and tell me <laughs> yeah. what's going on. I can't wait for that paper to be published. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when we think about uh, just going back to that, about people uh, being part of one consciousness and imagine if everybody was plugged into it at the same time, right? What about if everybody breathed in the same way or in the same uh, rhythm at the same time do you think it would be because there's all these things about group think and you uh mm. about people focusing listeners I, I don't have a, a ton of research on this to be able to speak with authority but there are these uh group think uh, situations where people get together and they focus their attention they think about a certain thing and that's there's some evidence there isn't there Oh, if you want a fantastic book that does go into all the research and cases around this, it's by an author called Lynn Mctaggart. Um, and I believe the first book she wrote about, it, I think it's called The Field. I might be wrong. The second book she wrote is called The Power of Eight. But the, you start with the first book. But Lynn Mctaggart is, um, she's a journalist and she wanted to understand and approach this phenomenon and did all sorts of experiments and the results are fascinating. So you're so right. And I, that's why I love group events. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't even necessarily do a lot of one-to-one -one work anymore. Most of it I want to do in groups because there is power in the group. There is like a, a momentum um, or an, almost like an exponential effect when people come together and breathe. Um, one of my absolute favorite moments of my life so far has been, um, I was very fortunate to do a session at British summertime festival here in London, in the UK in Hyde park, um, where we had yeah about two and a half thousand people lying down in Hyde park doing breath work for about 30 minutes or so. And, um, the energy coming off that, you know, the effect that it was having and I could see was immense you know so I, I i just adore getting lots and lots of people together and you see it you know breath work obviously but if you just look at any event where we come together as humans whether it's a concert whether it's a football match you know you can feel the electricity in the air and then when one person screams everybody screams you know so there's a certain level of entrainment that happens as well and if you are somebody that struggles with let's say making bringing the mind and making it quiet or maybe connecting to your intuition or 
having transcendental mystical experiences and that kind of thing, then get amongst a group of people who are good at doing that. Because, you know, a rising tide raises all ships, right? So, you know, you will, their, their own contribution to that morphic field, that resonance that you create in that group will help to bring you up. And that's what's so exciting. That's what's so cool. And it's what's been in some ways a little bit frustrating with obviously all the lockdowns is that it's hard to come together physically um, to do breathwork sessions. However, you know, in the first lockdown in particular, we were getting regularly about 1500 people joining in for these Instagram lives and doing breath work from all over the world. And you could feel it. You could feel the change. Um, after each of these sessions, I was getting between 200 to 300 messages on Instagram afterwards of people sharing, like, this is what I felt and this is what was going on. So there is power in a group, definitely. And uh, we need to, and even if it is online, there is still a great effect. I... I've really, really enjoyed chatting to you, Richie. And I think ever since I started to pay attention to breathing in my own life, but also since I started speaking to people who have made it their area of research, like James Nestor, or even having Dr. Andrew Weil on and mm. his four, seven, eight breath technique and the results he's seen with that. It does seem to be the, the, the little bit of magic that we all are capable of using because we are all breathing and it's just a case of tweaking how you breathe. And I do think the book is really wonderful in that sense of how are you breathing now? Well, let's get you to a place where you're breathing better because spoiler alert listeners, you might not be breathing in the best way for you. And that's not your fault. <laughs> but you, you'd be the part of the majority. Don't worry. Yeah. But the benefits you will reap from just paying attention to your breath. And I'll, you know, we've talked about so many brilliant concepts today and some of it might be a bit out there and intense for certain listeners, but really the breath is, it's so simple and that's the beauty in it. It's how impactful it can be, yet it is so simple. And, you know, in the book, it really is shared in a way to make it as simple as possible for you to be able to make the quickest and largest strides possible in order and to develop a relationship with your breath and start to learn how to use it with purpose to really you know, hopefully improve your life in many ways. Yeah. Cause I know sometimes I say, show me the data and that is really important to me uh, just because I don't want to be hoodwinked, but equally when I go on holiday, imagine that I've never gone and had a conversation with the pilot and asked about, you know, the physics of that, because actually I will leave that to the experts. So it is a case of sometimes it is really important to understand the science of it, but actually the application, as long as you can basically listeners, if you're listening to me and any guest I have on the show, you know, that even though what they're telling you to apply might seem quite simple, the work has been done there to prove that actually you're going to reap the benefits. But if all you need to do is give five minutes of your day, excellent. You don't have to do the research. I, I so agree with you there. You know, um, I always say when it comes to trying to understand what to believe or what actions to take, it's all to do with your own experience. You know, it's, it's all about, like, like we kind of mentioned in the very beginning, holding all the information, all the views and all the beliefs lightly in front of you and then experiencing for yourself to decide what is your truth. 
because you know what? Also, your truth might be different to somebody else's, and that's totally fine. That's beautiful. It's part mm. of being a unique individual. Um, and so, so yeah, so learning to breathe in a certain way, trying a breathwork technique, it's pretty simple. doesn't cost you anything. Um, and try it out and see what happens. And you might be surprised. Thank you so much. The links to Richie, the book, the app, the website, his Instagram will, of course, be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But Richie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your expertise. I've loved it. Oh, thank you so much, Emma. I've really had a lot of fun. What a great conversation. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richie and me. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, it's so easy. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on social media where I'm at Emma Guns. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, there is a very vibrant and wonderful Facebook group that I would love for you to join. The link is in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. You have to answer three questions and agree to the forum rules or I cannot let you in. But when I do let you in, you will be welcomed with open arms to our wonderful forum. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.